Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. I want to welcome everyone. Uh, it's good to see all your faces. We have a very short text today, uh, but there is a, a profound insight there, and it really underlines the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am very eager uh, to share uh, this message with you this morning. Uh, but before we do that, let's open up in a word of prayer. Because in the end, uh, true insight comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that illumines the truth of God to us. And for that to take place, uh, there has to be humility in our hearts. And our hearts have to be given over to, to the Lord. So let's pray that those things happen. Gracious and loving Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Pray that you would give us insight by the power of your Spirit. And we know that it's your spirit that searches the depth of God and therefore can communicate truth to us. So we give this time to you. We give our hearts to you. We give our minds to you. And I pray, Lord God, that in the end, uh, there will be great passion to serve and love you and to bless this world around us and bless the places that you have put us uh, so that we can be the fragrance of Christ uh, in the city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, this is a very short text, and I, if I were to take a guess, um, I think all of you know this text. Jesus' cleansing of the leper and making this leper whole is one of the most famous stories in all the scripture, and the picture that it paints is one that's really remarkable because this leper is probably the epitome of what it means to be isolated, uh, what it means to be lonely. He is the consummate outsider, and Jesus heals this person and restores this person. Um, So what's the spiritual lesson here? Um, And as I said, this is a very profound spiritual lesson. And I think we can get at this by uh, talking about the alienation that is in our world, and I think if we're honest, also uh, within our hearts as well. Let me try to underline what I'm trying to get at here. Uh, I am an educator during the week. And my school goes to eighth grade. Uh, there's a number of schools in New York City that end in eighth grade. Uh, but it starts with not kindergarten, pre-beginners. So the youngest ones are barely three years old. Uh, so they've been at home with mom and dad their whole lives. And when September rolls around and we are in the month of September, they take their first steps to school. Some of the students don't have, surprisingly, stranger anxiety, so they happily go to school. They shake their parents' hand, give them a kiss, give them a hug, and they go off to their teachers, and everything is fine and well. But the other half of the students, they kick and scream, and they cry, and they cry, and they cry, and they throw a tantrum, and they cry some more, and it's almost impossible to get them to stay at school and enjoy school because they miss their parents so much. And the reason why that is so is they have stranger anxiety. They feel alienation deep within their hearts. They're not able to articulate any of these things, but they feel something within their hearts. They feel as though they're being separated from the very ones that they love and receive love from. And so they go through this existential crisis in their little hearts and in their little minds And I do believe that that underlines the alienation that they pointedly feel uh, within their beings. Let me give you another example of what I'm talking about. I have a number of friends who adopted children. And I think adoption is absolutely a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
And one of my friends adopted a little girl probably at the age of one. Uh, so tiny little, little girl. And uh, four or five years later, I asked this person, so how's the child doing? And physically, the child was doing well. Uh, socially at school, the child was doing well. But there was a streak of a little bit of disobedience. Uh, there was a streak of not trusting. And I was like, oh, why do you think that's so? And that person says, well, I think she has a difficult time to trust because um, her parents let her go uh, when they were young, and now she's adopted by a new family. And I scratched my head at that moment, and I said, well, if you think about it, um, she has no recollection uh, at all, so why, why would that be? And uh, that person said, well, it's actually really profound. I think children, even though they, they can't articulate it or think about it in their minds, they feel alienation. And because of that, it comes out. And then as a minister, um, I thought about it from a theological level, and it makes complete sense. Uh, because when sin has entered into our world, our relationship with God was ruptured so the logical conclusion of that, I think we can all attest to, we have a difficult time trusting that God loves us and that he is a good father. And so when there's a crisis, we tend not to trust in the Lord. Our father, uh, who gave himself for us, who adopted us into his family, but we rely upon ourselves. And so we can even see within our own hearts the working out of this idea of being alienated uh, within our, our lives. I think as we get older, we are able to mask it, we're able to hide it, uh, but I think all of us, in a sense, do feel it. I remember watching a movie, uh, which underlines this point again, uh, in 2005, and that was actually a long time ago. It seems like yesterday, but it's like 14 years ago. Uh, there was a movie um, called Crash, and uh, or Traffic, rather, and that movie is about drugs, and uh, I won't get into the whole plot because it's actually quite complicated. There's all these parallel lives. But there was a sentence that I will never forget, and it's about um, these parallel lives, and there's a, there's a longing, and I think that's one of the sub-themes of the movie, and it says, we're always behind metal and glass. Uh, think we miss that touch so much that we crash into each other just to feel something. And if, when you watch the movies, there, there is a colliding of lives. And people who are completely different, they do crash into each other. And one of the sub-themes is everyone feels a little bit of alienization. Everyone feels isolated. Everyone feels that they're not quite part of something. And so in the end, in weird ways, in unexpected ways, they crash into each other. And they perhaps might do this so that they can feel something. And I think that's one of the points that Jesus is trying to make in this text. Because when Jesus is doing his ministry, and we saw before he is healing people, he is uh, casting out demons, and he's doing these things because the reality of the kingdom is present now, and so the king is here, and because the king is here, restoration has begun. Those things which are in heaven are now being brought to earth and transforming things. And so when Jesus heals this person with leprosy, 
He's not merely saying that, yeah, I'm the person who is going to heal the sickness called leprosy. Something more profound is taking place because, as I said in the beginning of this message, leprosy, or the person who has leprosy, is really the consummate outsider of civilization, and it's even more so within a Jewish context. And for us to begin to understand some of the things that's going on, we need to know a little bit about the background of those who had leprosy. And when we look at the Old Testament then, it's very clear that the leper was the outsider. It says in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, these words, the person with an infectious disease, that is the leper, um, must wear torn clothing. His hair must be unkempt. The lower part of his face must be covered and cry out wherever he goes, unclean, unclean. And as long as he has this infection, he remains unclean. And it says he must live alone and he must live outside the camp. Uh, it's very infectious. So this person is isolated from the community. The person is an outsider, and wherever this person goes, this person must cry out, unclean, unclean, to announce that this person is the outsider, and everyone will run away from this person. This is who this person is, and it literally says that this person must be placed outside the camp, which is very significant, because if you look at the spatial um, dimensions or the spatial ideas of the Old Testament, to be in the camp of God means to be part of God's community. Or to put it this way, to be in the camp means to be in closer proximity with God, and therefore you become the covenantal people of God. If you are outside the camp, in a real way, you are disconnected from God himself. So the leper not only does not have fellowship with the people of God, in a sense, this person does not have fellowship with God himself. And so the, the feeling of being an outsider is enhanced and it is underlined. And it is underlined so much so that when we begin to listen to the words of the leper, we can get at the alienization that this person feels. And to do that, all we need to do is look at the words very carefully. It says right in this passage, uh, this person comes to Jesus in verse 40, and he asks Jesus a question. Before I read the passage to you, let me tell you what it's not saying. This person is not asking Jesus whether Jesus has the ability and the power to heal him. That is not the question. There is no doubt whatsoever in this leper's mind that Jesus has the power to heal. Um, and I believe that this leper knows that Jesus can heal because probably he heard stories of miraculous healings from Jesus because Jesus came to usher in the kingdom and he's healing people. Now, if you look at this text, there's a completely different question that is in view. So what does this person say? This person says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There's a nuance here. He's not questioning Jesus' power to heal. He's questioning Jesus' willingness to heal. Now, why would he question Jesus' willingness to heal? Well, 
I believe that he's questioning Jesus' willingness to heal because no one was ever willing to lend a helping hand to this leper. No one stooped down to love this leper. This person has been disconnected from community for so long and disconnected from fellowship for so long. Yes, he knows that Jesus has the power, but does Jesus have the willingness to heal? In those words, we see the alienization that this leper feels in his being. He knows that Jesus can heal, but is Jesus willing to heal? And I think this is important for New Yorkers. Um, I have a friend um, who's a, a great minister. And I remember inviting him to my church 10 years ago to preach. And I still remember verbatim his first words. Okay. He's a New York City minister, and these are his words first verbatim. He says, when I walk in New York City, I feel poor and ugly. Those were his first, first words, and those words resonated with me. Okay? When I walk in New York City, I feel poor and ugly. Now, why would he say that? Well, I think he's saying that. And I think in many ways we all kind of feel that because when we walk around in New York City, there's so much wealth. And we feel as though everyone is wealthy. And we pass a store and we see something uh, that's trivial that costs like $3,000. And we're thinking, who would ever buy that? This store is in business, so obviously people buy these things. And we see these skyscrapers and we kind of Google how much it costs and it's like $15 million dollars. People actually live in these things, and they have three or four of these things, and so we feel poor. And it just so happens we live in the model uh, capital of uh, the world. And so we see these beautiful people, and we begin to compare ourselves. And it's like, wow, that person is beautiful. I'm not. And when we see the sitcoms of New York, and we see people walking around, we kind of make this little maybe illogical conclusion in our minds that everyone has friends and everyone is happy and everyone is doing so well and when we look at our lives like well I feel poor I feel ugly and I feel as though I have no friends and therefore we feel this alienization with inside of us that's only a fraction of what this leper feels and so when this leper approaches Jesus, he does not question whether Jesus has the power to heal, but he questions Jesus' willingness. Uh, but then Jesus does something in this passage. First of all, Jesus is indignant. Now that might cause a, a question to appear um, in your mind. Why was Jesus indignant? I think Jesus is indignant at the brokenness of this world. He's indignant that this, this leper would ask that type of question. Uh, is this world so fractured that the leper would question the willingness of Jesus to heal? Is this person such an outsider? Has his creation been so broken that a person is reduced to this and therefore Jesus is indignant? And there are other places where Jesus is indignant because sin has taken over. And so Jesus is going to come. He's going to reverse that. And he's going to cure that, ultimately speaking. And we'll see how Jesus does it and how even this passage becomes a foreshadow of what he would ultimately do. So what does Jesus do? After he's indignant, he does something very interesting. Now, Jesus uh, could heal by divine fiat. And what I mean by divine fiat is... He can see this leper and says, of course, I am willing, my child, be healed. And if he did that, this leper will be completely healed. There's no doubt in my mind. 
when we look at the whole panorama of scripture, there's plenty of instances, particularly creation, God speaks and it is. It just happens. It's the creative power of God's word. Jesus can do that easily, but he doesn't do that here. Uh, he doesn't simply say, be healed, leper. I've heard you. I am willing and I love you, so be healed. What Jesus does, he actually takes his hand and he touches this leper, which is a complete no-no in this ancient civilization. And I think Jesus does that because he knows a couple of things. He knows that this leper has never touched the flesh of a healthy person. So Jesus shows his willingness, not just by his words and the healing that obviously takes place within this passage, but Jesus shows his willingness by a physical touch. And so he lays hands on this leper. And because Jesus knows the Old Testament well, or the Hebrew Bible well, and the traditions very well, he knows exactly what is happening as he touches this person. Because one of the things that it says over and over again is you cannot touch those who are unclean. The leper is the consummate unclean one. But because if you touch the one who is unclean, you become unclean yourself. So Jesus is showing his incredible willingness by not only touching this person, this person will know that that physical touch has made this, this teacher, this miracle worker, this person named Jesus, in that process, unclean himself. So if you look at this, it really is a window of the gospel. The one who is unclean becomes cleansed. And the one who is the epitome of cleanliness, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one, he becomes unclean. In fact, the only way that this person becomes clean is when Jesus touches him and becomes unclean, which is really a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus becomes our sin, and what do we become? We don't become sinners multiplied by two or squared. We become the righteousness of God. That's what happens. It's this glorious transaction that takes place because Jesus bears that sin upon himself and makes us clean. And indeed, you here are clean because of the work of the Lord Jesus who became sin upon the cross. But when you look at this passage, it's even more than that. It's so amazing. Five verses, but it has everything to do with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus says to this person, don't tell anyone. What has happened now that might confuse you that shouldn't confuse you all that much because it's called the messianic secret in the gospel of mark so in the gospel of mark that's repeated over and over and over and over and over again don't tell anyone don't tell anyone and i think there's two reasons why jesus says don't tell anyone reason number one uh, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom to preach and to heal, of course, but if he's merely known as a miracle worker, then that presents some problems, which we'll see here. Okay. Uh, the second is people will mis misunderstand what it means to be the Messiah. Now, if you think about it, it makes complete sense because the people in the ancient world are still very worldly. Uh, so if the true son of David has come, will he be a military victor? This is the real problem. If he's going to be a military victor, then he's going to raise up an army, throw off the yoke of the Romans, and they're going to have a glorious kingdom just as David uh, had in the past, and they will be conquering their neighbors and take over the land of promise and will not have to pay taxes to Rome anymore. And Jesus is not that kind of a messiah. Uh, he is the deliverer. He is the king, uh, but his kingdom comes from heaven. And more than that, he's also the suffering servant who would die upon the cross. So 
he's a king, but he's a humble king. He's a sacrificial king, and he will usher in his kingdom once and for all when he comes back again. People don't see that nuance, so Jesus says, don't tell anyone. What does this person do? He tells everyone, okay? But what does Jesus tell this leper to do? This, uh, Jesus tells this leper, instead, go show yourself to the priest, Go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses has prescribed. Uh, so this person presumably does that. He shows himself to the priest and he goes, you know, I had leprosy. Can you check out my body? And the priest will say, you have no leprosy anymore. You were, you were cleansed. Here are the sacrifices that I need to offer. I have done that. What does that mean? Well, practically speaking, what it means is that that person now is reintroduced into God's covenant community. What he did not have, now he has. He had no community. Now he is very much in center of that community. And Jesus knows the alienization that this person has felt his whole entire life. And so he reintroduces him into the covenant community of God. And he is now with his brothers and sisters in, uh, in God's people. And so Jesus' work here is not only becoming unclean to make this person clean, but Jesus gives this leper the people of God. Uh, Jesus gives this, this leper a community. Now, again, I said this is only five verses, but these five verses are really pregnant with meaning. So if you think about it, this person now who was an outsider has now become an insider. But what happens at the end of this passage? Um, instead, uh, this person, the leper, went out, verse uh, 45, began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could not enter into any other town. Uh, so he stayed in lonely places. If the people came to him from everywhere. So from a spatial point of view, Jesus, who is the insider, is now the outsider. The Jesus who is in the crowds of people preaching and healing, he is now in the place of lonely people. He is the lonely one. Uh, which makes sense because if you do a little biblical theology, the New Testament would say that Jesus was crucified, quote-unquote, outside the camp. He is the one who cries out that cry of dereliction upon the cross, which is the cry of abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we can say there is no one more lonely than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of loneliness as the Trinity breaks down as the Father pours wrath down upon the Son upon the cross. And in the sixth hour, there is darkness over the land, so he's even cut off by common grace. And therefore, it's only pure, unadulterated wrath of God upon a man suspended between heaven and earth, naked, bruised, and bleeding, and he dies our miserable death alone. And it's that loneliness that brings this leper and all of us into true community. No wonder then Jesus's last prayer is on the importance of, of, of community. All right, if you look at John 17, it's Jesus's longest prayer. Uh, it's one of his last prayers, and he prays that they would be one as we are one. And this is important, right? Because application-wise, um, when true community takes place, it is missional. When true community takes place, the eyes of the wor world are averted from the lies of the world to truth. Because you know what? The world from the beginning of its uh, civilization has been wrestling with how can we get people to get along? 
Um, how can we create a society where there's a level playing field? How can we create a society where everyone's voices are heard? And how can we create a community where there is equality and diversity and, and love? And how can we get people together where there is a sharing of resources without a heavy hand? And how can we create a community where there are all these vast, vast differences and not just tolerance, but love and acceptance? And the world, to be completely honest with you as an ancient historian and as a observer of modern society, the world has failed every single time. And there's never been a shining example of this. Never in the history of the world. And I will go on record to say there never will be from a worldly point of view. It's a sociological impossibility because sin always fractures society and sin always breaks down society. In fact, sin is so pervasive that we feel alienization from ourselves. And this is why really astute thinkers talk about a tripartite soul because even our souls and our hearts are fractured. And if we're honest, you know, isn't that our own experience? Our minds think one thing, our feelings feel something else, and our wills do something entirely different. Why? It's the brokenness of the human personality. And so we know what we ought to do, yet we don't do it. And those things which we do, we know we shouldn't do, and yet we still do it. And we have good advice and make resolutions and we determine to do certain things, but we don't do it because we're fractured even within ourselves. But the Lord Jesus has come, and because of his work upon the cross and because of his present power through the Holy Spirit, the church and the church alone can produce a sociological impossibility. And what that is, is true fellowship amongst believers in Jesus Christ. And this is why the Apostle Paul can give this succinct statement, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, slave or free in Christ. And this is why Jesus prays by the power of God's Holy Spirit that we would be one as the Father and Son are one. And then the world will know that we are the disciples of Christ. Now here's, here's the problem. The church forgets its mandate. The church forgets its mission. The church forgets who we are. And so there's divisions within the church. But by the power of God's Holy Spirit, and because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do it. And we're the only ones who can do it, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not going to be easy, but we have every resource to make it happen. Let me give you a little observation here. Um, it took a very long time uh, to build um, Freedom Tower. A very long time. Um, if it were built in Japan, it would probably take like two years. Uh, if it were built in China, give it six months. <laughs> this took such a long time. I think it took such a long time because America is so diverse. It's not a homogenous group of people. 
and everyone has their say, and you have to be sensitive to all these things. And that, that's actually a good thing, okay? Now, when you look at churches, I think churches that are monoethnic, it's easier. Churches that are diverse, there are challenges. Uh, churches that have the same economic strata, it's easier. Churches that are diverse economically, it's harder. Now, I feel so privileged to go to a church that is probably one of the most diverse churches in the city. People from all different ages. I mean, there's probably three or four generations of people just in this room, all different backgrounds. And that's going to present challenges. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus healed the consummate outsider and brought that consummate outsider to be an insider in the covenant community of God. And that shows us that it is more than possible to bless the body of Christ and to create unity in the body of Christ because we no longer feel that angst and alienization um, in ourselves because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's my application here? My application here is, you know, in a sense, I don't want you to look for community. Um, and that might seem very counterintuitive. Uh, I want you to, as an application, realize that God has already accepted you. And so you are part of the community of God. It's given to you by the work of Christ. It's done. It is finished. We have to receive it and walk in faith. We have to receive it and take steps of obedience. And what, what is faith? Faith is action. It's believing in something so much that you will take the action. So you know you have true faith if and only if you take risks. If you are not a risk taker, you are not a person of faith. You have intellectual consent and it stops there. True faith is taking risks based upon what you know in your heart. So don't look for community. Community is there already because of Christ. Now take a step of faith. Take steps of obedience to actualize what is ours already in the Lord Jesus Christ. What you should be looking for then are people to bring in Christ's community by sharing your lives and sharing your love. Because when we come to Christ, uh, we realize he is the one who heals all the angst and agony and pain and alienization. It's only he who can do that. Not a community. It's only he who can do that. Once that's there, we can go out and bless and love people. And my prayer is that... Uh, the, the worshiping together of two congregations uh, would experience what God has done for us through his son. There are no outsiders in the kingdom of heaven because of what Jesus has done. And we have everything we need to become grand architects of the community of God. And believe me when I say this, the outcome is actually 
counterintuitively joy. So if there's a, a lack of joy in your life, it might be because we haven't really fleshed out and lived this message. I close with this. Okay. Now, one amazing passage um, in the New Testament comes from the epistle of 1 John. And if you know the beginning of the epistle of 1 John, uh, the aged apostle says that which was from the beginning, that which we have touched with their hands, that which we have beheld with their own eyes, we declare to you um, so that our joy may be complete. So consider the logic of that just a little bit. So John is basically saying, I'm in missions, and I'm telling you about this Jesus, even in my old age, even though I'm going to probably die because I'm old. I'm doing all this with all energy, the energy I had in my youth, and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life and just be in mission and tell everyone about Jesus has come in the flesh so that my joy would be complete. Now, that's counterintuitive because you would think the apostle's job would say something like, I'm doing these things so that your joy will be complete because you're the one who's going to meet Christ. Uh, but um, John has said the opposite, so that I would be happy. I would be joyful. And so the insight there is when we are in a mission and when we are blessing people, we are doing the very thing that God has created us to do. And when we see that we are doing, and when we feel that we are doing the very thing that God has created us to do, joy is the outcome. And this is why Jesus says it is far better to give than to receive, because the giver gets the joy. Have you ever increased the joy of another person? If so, you are the most joyful. Have you ever gone on a, on a mission and you've blessed a group of people? I'm sure that they're happy, but I'm sure your joy outweighs their joy. Teachers know this. Parents know this. Leaders know this. The apostle John knows this. And believers who live this way know this. So friends, I want to encourage you this morning. Bring your angst, bring your anxieties, bring your alienization to the one who says, I am willing. Jesus is willing. Completely willing. The devil says he's not willing because uh, you're messed up. That's the devil's talk. God says he is willing. He's willing to receive you. So if you're not come to him, come to him today. Don't delay. And as you do, I pray that God will give you a new heart and that you would become architects of, of community and you will be blessings. So may the Lord bless what we're doing and bless our work in New York City so that the world will know, so that New York will know that we are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. We'll have the prayer uh, team come on up and they'll be in different parts of the room to pray for you. I'll be happy to pray for you as well. And why don't we respond to the Lord? Um, it's always important to um, spend a little time in prayer after the message and in whatever way that God has spoken to you to respond to him. And uh, I'm sure that um, the Lord will uh, share certain things with you.
let's be swift, swift of foot um, to put these things into practice. So let's uh, bow our heads as um, there's a little bit of music in the background. Let's uh, focus our hearts and our minds upon the Lord. As uh, the music is playing, uh, I just want to invite anyone um, who feels as though Jesus is not willing to take that step of faith. Uh, there is a willing Lord to receive. It doesn't matter where you are, how far you've uh, drifted, there is always uh, a willing Lord who will, who will touch you. Uh, so come to the Lord. Those who want to um, be architects of community, uh, let's just lift that up to the Lord that God will give you the grace to see and discern uh, how to be a blessing in this area. Let me close that this time. Gracious Father, we thank you for your words uh, and most of all, thank you for what you've done. Pray that you would uh, continually open our hearts uh, to come to you, the Lord who is willing, the Lord who heals and restores and mends and brings together. And I pray that you would give us the grace to walk out in faith, uh, to become great architects of community in New York, that the world will know that we are your disciples and ultimately know uh, you, Lord God. We pray these things then in Jesus' precious name. Amen.